Jeff Hathorn. I am wearing black and gold. I was just thinking that as I was looking at your shirt. Well, we are going to get Alan Fanica to give us a call. Which is awesome. Yes, and he is in his cabin in Louisiana. So we tested out the signal a little bit earlier. Would he have crossed paths with J.J. Watt? Oh, that's a good question for him, isn't it? I mean, I realized Watt was more outside, but still. Well, let's think. Okay, so... Yeah, I don't know, actually. We should Google that. We should figure that out. And I was thinking we would just... I mean, we have a lot of questions for Alan, quite frankly, on the day of Franco Harris's wake. And I actually recall the two of them talking at the Hall of Fame induction. And you think about the different generations of Steelers and the kinship. Oh, yeah. That's inevitably there. But we are live here at Minio's Pizza House. You know what the beauty of Franco, though, was? As an aside, yes, is you didn't have to be a Hall of Famer for him to talk to you. Oh my gosh, and I can attest to that. I thought right. Franco was going to join me on this show. I talked to Mrs. Harris about this multiple times, and she, I mean, even this past weekend, we talked, and I said, I know how insane this is with it being the week of the anniversary and the induction. She said, I wish we could make it work. I'm so sorry we can't. I mean, just as gracious as they possibly could be. I I didn't know Dana, but I heard that she was the embodiment of Franco. As far as, yeah. Yes. Well, because he had time for everybody. Yes. He had time for everybody. He was interested in everybody. And, I mean, Mel Blunt sat with me in this seat a week ago and said he's never met a more decent man than Franco Harris. And Mel Blunt runs youth camps for underprivileged young men. Think about that. I thought something Doc said on Saturday, or on Friday, last Friday, um, about we were happy to share our dad with everybody. Yeah. It was so true. Because you did. That's who he was. And, And there has to be some unselfishness with the family. For Franco not to feel all torn and, and you know, they're the, they are the you know the wind beneath your wings if you want to use that phrase, but they were. And, and I think that the, this is something that I said on the radio last week with Pony and Muller, but I believe it bears repeating. There is a responsibility to sort of carrying the mantle, being the face of a franchise, and that '70s team. The face of that team was and is Franco Harris and was, you know, I I asked this to Mel Blunt last week and this really struck with me. He was saying that it was Franco who made everybody believe. It was Franco who gave them confidence. And I said, you know, there were so many stars, so many Hall of Famers on that team. Why is it Franco, outside of Joe Green, that gets his number retired first? And he said, well, you have to remember football back then. It wasn't about the quarterback. The quarterback threw the ball maybe 10 (laughs) times. Franco, he touched the ball 30 to 35 times a game. You went the way your running back went. So there was that piece of it. There was the football piece of it, where the running back was the primary component of those winning teams. But then there was that other piece. All of those teams, all of those stars, all of those Hall of Famers, Joe Green, Lim Swan, Jack Lambert, Jack Ham, Mel Blunt, who is the guy that is always available, who is always out there, who's always announcing the draft pick, be it Pat Fryermuth or Kenny Pickett, who is the person that always had time to represent the Pittsburgh Steelers? If there was a charity event, 
Franco was there. All they had to do was call. Yep. Which is like our radio show here at Minios. And I hope, you know, the guys said last week in the room that one of the things, they, they didn't know him. How could they? Right. They don't, they don't know what he did. Like, they can't appreciate his greatness. I mean, they might look at highlights on YouTube or something like that, but they don't. And I, I understand that. I'm not faulting them for that. But what they learned was, like, Kevin Dotson to say, I want to go out in the community and make a difference like he did. And I'm working towards that. That's the legacy. You know, Christian Kuntz saying, he makes me want to be a better man. It's not the, the yards, even the titles. That's, that's the legacy of Franco Harris. And, you know, I think that that's the piece that so many, the players that I most connect with understand that piece of it. Someone will always have more yards than you. Someone will always have more touchdowns than you. The game will change, and some receiver will have X, Y, or Z more than you. But when you create something that is a legacy, that is about the impact you have on ensuing generations, that's what sticks. That's what people remember. And, and, our, and for this generation, it's Cam. Sure. I mean, Cam doesn't have the same doesn't have the same success on the field, doesn't have a Super Bowl, doesn't have the, the playoff victories. But as far as being active in the community, it's him. I think the thing about Cam, it's funny because I had this conversation earlier today about players that have a killer instinct and do you have them and how much do you love the game and what do you give? Cam gives 100% on every single play. If there is a catch... 10 yards away from him, he's still running after the guy. And that's the piece that you hope carries on. And that you do see. Why does a team like the Pittsburgh Steelers that are supposed to be out of it still, why are they still sitting relevant? Why are they getting flexed? Mike Tomlin says that that's a good sign. Andrew Filipponi says it's not. For someone that has to cover the game, for someone that has to selfishly (laughs) cover the game, the night flex stinks, (laughs) especially on New Year's Day. I mean, it's good you can sleep in more. Okay, that's nice. Sure. Will you drive in the day of? Yeah. Oh, so then you're lucky. You get New Year's Eve with all the people that'll be driving back home. You get tons more traffic instead of leaving at like seven in the morning when nobody's up yet. Sure. Okay. So it's selfishly, but it's hey. That's his dance partner, right? Harbs. Harbs is his dance partner. (laughs) You know, those are two men that they have to have respect for each other, but those are not two men that are sitting together drinking a beer or a glass of red wine in John Harbaugh's case. Don't see that. Yeah. But I I love that they do. I mean, they should respect each other. I mean, look at some of the games they've been a part of and the meaning behind those games. Of course. I mean, you can't help but appreciate your combatant. I mean, this many years later, I'm talking about that crazy game in 2012. That 20, was it 20 to 18? Was that the Immaculate Extension? No, the Immaculate Extension. No, not 2008. Uh, that was 2016. That was Christmas 2016 was the Immaculate Extension. Then 2012 was that ridiculous um, game on Thanksgiving. The Jacoby Jones, the Heath Miller, the Le'Veon Bell, the drop two-point conversion, the Shane Swisham miss, Sean Swisham. Look at me. I I remember the game, and I can't even say the kicker's name right. 
Gosh, it suddenly got quiet in here. Is that everybody at Minio's Pizza House? Come on! I know. <laughs> are we all excited for Ravens Week? <laughs> there we are. Are we more excited for Alan Fanica? All right. There you go. Well, we would love to take some questions from you, too, since it is Ravens Week and since that has made it a little bit hard-pressed to get ourselves a black and gold it's uniform. It's tough rival week. Uh, yeah. Rival week is tough, model. man. It is. I mean, these guys, get they get a different mindset. Well, and this is a heck of a game to be coming off of because as we paid our flat, gave our dues to Franco to some degree, I don't know that we ever can fully finish that, but... That was a win that felt like a very, very necessary win on that night. And boy, did Kenny Pickett show us everything that you and I have certainly thought we'd see out of him. Yeah, I mean, he's a winner. He's a winner. And uh, listen, people are debating back and forth. I think people go over the top on one side or the other with Kenny Pickett. But I think he has improved. What did you want? What is the biggest thing you needed to see from this season? If you're not going to win a Super Bowl. That he got better He got better and that you can look to the future and say, we can win with this guy. And that he can own a team. That you have a leader because that is an offense that has desperately needed a leader. And you watch him now, how he's won over the line. Yep. And Mason Cole and and those guys, they, they hang with him like he's their guy. And it's nothing against Mitch. Mitch was their guy. But Kenny had to win them over, and he did. And he didn't do it because they anointed him. He did it because he worked hard. He paid his dues. And that I thought that part paid off, too. I know people say, oh, if he would have started from the beginning of the year, maybe the Steelers would be in in a better position for the playoffs. But I I look at it the other way. I think Tomlin did him a solid and got him in a position to where the guys respect him because he wasn't handed anything. Anything. Nothing. And that's such a perfect segue because we are now – After this very quick break, we will talk to one of the best offensive linemen in Steelers history who hopefully will tell us about a quarterback winning a line over because I think the quarterback he played with, who will one day join him in the Hall of Fame, didn't necessarily endear himself to Alan Fanica. (laughs) All right, so we are live at Minio's Pizza House in Allison Park. Come out here if you can. We are hoping to bring some patrons on air with us too, but before then when we come back we will be joined by alan fanica now twitter is brought to you by south hills chrysler dodge jeep ram in peters township or visit them online at southhillsjeep.com live from a packed minio's pizza house i wish alan fanica was here instead of in his cabin in louisiana (laughs) are you in a cabin or is it a real house in louisiana alan i am in a cabin out in the middle of nowhere in the woods your face alone. Hello? Are you still there? You there? See, he did say the I'm middle there. of nowhere. I'm can here. you hear us, Alan? I, I, I can hear you guys. Can you guys hear me? We can hear Hello? you. So what are you doing right. in this cabin in Louisiana? <laughs> uh, so my family and I, we live in Virginia these days, but uh, when we moved, we kept this cabin and uh, said if we ever found a way to uh, get our get back to Louisiana, we would not move back to Louisiana because we don't have this cabin anymore. So we kept it, uh, and uh, it's not too far out of the boonies. We get to rent it out when we're not here, and it pays for itself, and uh, we find as many reasons as we can to get back here and get into the woods. How awesome is that? Sounds pretty inviting right now, doesn't it? <laughs> I don't think he's inviting I mean, us. I think that's No, I'm, I'm saying it, but yeah. The visual, guys. We're all, everybody listening right now, we're all at the campfire right now. 
Oh, well, that sounds great. Well, you know what, Alan? It's we, we were talking quite a bit about Franco Harris and how just a man, not, not a Hall of Famer, not a legend, not any of those other things, just as a human being, such a humble, approachable person. And that's what I would pretty much say about you. I think everybody should know I called Alan Fanica less than an hour ago and said, oh, my gosh, can you bail me out? <laughs> Did you have any interactions with Franco? What was your relationship with him? Oh, so much. You know, I knew knew Franco from, you know, the year one when I first got to Pittsburgh. But definitely over, uh, you know, the last 10 years, uh, getting to spend so much more time with him and his wife, Dana, and getting to just, you know, kind of hang out and, and learn so much more about Franco and just to see what he was, you know, really about, you know, when you, when you first hear about Franco, you hear about the immaculate reception and what a great player he was, but he did so much good in Pittsburgh and so much charity work. And, you know, if, if, if a little kid wanted to come up and talk to him, he would talk to him till somebody literally pulled him away and said, we have to go Franco. (laughs) Uh, He just wanted to to spread fun and joy and just was a, a man of the people and just got to see so much more of that over the last 10 years uh, on my kind of my Hall of Fame journey. And um, they kind of took uh, my wife, Julie, and I uh, under our wing, under their wing and, and just kind of helped guide us and, and you know, kind of kept us calm as we waited and until we got the knock. And it's just uh, it's such bittersweet sorrow uh, to, to have lost them, especially, you know, days before it was you know, his, his day, right? His day in, in town and um, just a bit of shame. Alan, I know you guys have been very active in the community and helping with charities. And we hear from the guys in the locker room the last few days and saying that what they learned about Franco is how much he gave back and how football was more than just playing for the Steelers. It was about using your platform and helping people and making a difference. That Was that something that, that you immediately saw and, uh, that you felt from him, and is that a lesson that you learned when you got to know him? You know, it definitely was. Uh, you know, indirectly from from Franco, but from all of the guys from from his era, from the '70s. Those those teams, uh, they were always so helpful in the community. Always had charities. They they stuck around and were always a part. And I, I learned that very early on. You know uh, that hey, let's let's do something, but let's not just do something to do it. Let's let's leverage the the Steelers, the NFL, and and, and try and do something a little bit more. Uh, and then once you do it like that first time, you're like, all right, what can we do next? What's the next thing we can do? How can we help uh, these kids over here, or or help this charity or this fundraiser, or let's go let's go show up over here and support these guys and just to be a part of as many things as you can. Uh, we learned from all of those guys, and Franco was one of them. Okay, well, Alan, tell us the truth. Did he ever tell you that he would have had twice as many touchdowns if he ran behind you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, no way, man. Franco loved his guys. Uh, but he loved to talk some football, man. It was always talking, and we, w- we would have conversations about things that we uh, that we did when I played, and uh, you know, talking about that uh, the Fast Willie's uh, touchdown in the Super Bowl and how it all came about and figuring things out. Uh, just loved hearing how 
you know, the game evolves every time. I mean, the game's evolved since, I, since I've left, and I feel like it was yesterday when I was playing. Uh, it just changes so often, but he just loved to hear about uh, the changes and how things went and, um, you know, just kind of always learning, really. Is, is that how you still watch the game? Do you watch the lines? Are you seeing what the offensive line is doing? I, I, I watch the game as if I have my hand in the dirt and I'm looking up and I'm seeing everything that's going on. I'm trying to guess what the defense is doing, uh, figuring out what the offense is is, uh, is doing, why they're doing it, you know, maybe a couple plays in a row. I'm like, oh, they're setting up, setting up something over here. Uh, yeah, I totally watch it like I'm watching film uh, back in, uh, back in uh, the, the room with the guys. Alan, so what do you think of their growth in, over the span of this season? You know, I think, uh, you know, I think it's, it's probably frustrating a little bit at times because, you know, you see it and then you don't see it for a while. And, and I think mostly you talk about the offensive side of the ball because that's where the most growth has to happen. Um, so, I mean, you see it growing, and it just is not always there all the time. But, you know, it keeps growing. You know I mean, you come back and you make the big drive to win the game uh, this past weekend, and, you know, you see that growth. You see it happen. That's, that's kind of a big moment. I have kind of a global question for you. I was on the sideline of the uh, Browns-Saints game. Louisiana, the New Orleans Saints, the Cleveland Browns in ridiculous weather. And um, there were a couple of key situations, third and fourth down, when you could see the offensive line wanted to run Nick Chubb and the head coach threw the ball instead. Why is it so much a part of a line's identity to say, we want to run the ball, we want to smash someone? Why is that such a bigger deal than throwing the ball? You know, it's uh, especially when when an offensive line when when you when you feel it right when you feel you're starting to impose your will and you're not really worried that it's you know third and one or third and four you're like dial it up and we're gonna get we're gonna do it um, and, and I've come off the field and, and had arguments and well I'll we tell you what I want to know well I want to know is why he decided that he, you've seen Alan Fanica recently oh yeah he looks like a wide receiver. Oh, yeah. Maybe a tight end. Like but him, Aaron really Smith, Chris yeah, yeah. Hoke, a bunch of all them. All of them. All of them. But he decided that he wanted his Hall of Fame bust to look like he looked in his playing days. All of that long, unkempt hair, definitely a bit of a bigger face. He wanted to go in looking that way. Well, that's how he played. I mean, it is amazing the transformation those guys make. I think I told you, I, when I was in Miami, I was with Al Villanueva. And uh, I said, I don't recognize you, Al. I have no idea who you are. Alan, are you back with us? Alan, have we, we're, we're playing that cell phone game. Isn't it crazy that you can put someone on the moon, but you can't necessarily connect via cell phone? The moon might be less remote than where he is right now. <laughs> I consider in the backwoods of Louisiana. That might be. It might well, be you covered, Alan, there. right? Oh, oh, you're there. there you're there. Okay, so you were telling us that when you know you can impose your will, you certainly do take it personally. But Jeff is just wondering something. Oh, keep going. Keep going. No, go ahead. Go ahead. What are we wondering, guys? Now, so I just want to know how many of your former 
compadres, your fellow offensive linemen, are celebrating that J.J. Watt announced his retirement? <laughs> oh, man, you know, I saw that this afternoon. And, uh, you know, what a career he's had and uh, just kept on playing and playing at a high level generally. Uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people uh, in his division out there in Arizona that are extremely glad that they don't have to uh, worry about him next year. They can cross him off their list of uh, games to, uh, to highlight. Did you ever have a guy like that, Alan? Was there ever anybody through your career that retired that you said, oh, thank goodness? <laughs> um, you know, I don't know if I ever had the, the luxury of having somebody retire, but, you know, guys that I would always highlight, man, the, the, the biggest one for me was always Warren Sapp. Uh, and it's because uh. he made you play the position of offensive lineman different than you ever have. Uh, especially in the inside. You kind of had to play it a little bit like a tackle, but you were still a guard because you're still right in the quarterback's face. And everything about being an offensive lineman is repetition and kind of doing the same thing over and over again and just getting really good at it. And you couldn't play Warren that way because if, if you didn't adjust how you played and try to become better uh, in in that manner, then he would just destroy you. And that's how he, he won most of the time. He, he beat you before you even showed up on the game because you weren't practicing all week long to get better. So I always pulled my, uh, my practice squad guy aside and was like, look, I need this, this, and this. I showed him everything I did. I showed him the film. And I said, we got to work this week. I said, this is no, no uh, breeze through practice. We got to work. We got to work hard so that I can win on Sunday. I know every game is important, and, you know, you play to win every game, but what was Ravens week like? You know, Ravens week for us, you know, we were always geared at another level, I think, you know. So I always used to hear about when I first got to Pittsburgh that uh, uh, the Oilers back then and then the Titans when they moved to Tennessee were like, you know, it was it's Pittsburgh week, it's Steeler week, and we used to kind of laugh about it. And it was like, because we're doing the same thing every week. We didn't change. And so we, Ravens week was Ravens week, but it just naturally kind of started building up. Nobody really talked about it. It was nothing special uh, until we got there on Sunday. And then it was a playoff game atmosphere, and it didn't matter if it was week one or week seven. It was going to be a playoff atmosphere as far as people playing through the echo of the whistle and giving it everything they got it was going to be a brawl. And that's why those games were always on TV. That's why that's why they weren't flexing games back then, but that's why all of those games, when you look at the schedule <laughs> when you first got it during the summer, they were all prime time. Well, prime time once again. Alan, you have totally saved us. Before we let you go, one last question. I know you just told me earlier that you are not coaching in the high school ranks anymore. Any chance that you have any interest in coming to coach back in Pittsburgh? I, you know, I, I have a lot of interest in coaching, and I would always listen and uh, keep my ears uh, open to listen to anything because I just love the game. I love spreading uh, information and sharing it and being around it, so I would definitely be open. Okay. Well, Jeff, you're going to pass that note on to Mike Thompson, <laughs> right? Yes, first thing. <laughs> First thing tomorrow morning. Alan, have so much fun with your family. Thank you so, so much for joining us. And hopefully we'll My see pleasure, you guys. here at Minio's and we'll buy you pizza. I don't think Alan drinks beer anymore. Alan, do you drink anymore? 
Sure. Oh. <laughs> All right. I'll take care of that. You get the pizza. <laughs> I'll take care of the rest. On you guys. <laughs> All right. right. Thanks, Alan. Alan. Can't wait to see you. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, guys. Thank you. All right. right. Well, how about Alan Fanica? I how about that as offensive I, line I can't coach? hear him without thinking about the Willie Parker run. Okay, so tell those of us who were not necessarily in the building for the Willie Parker run why it was that magnificent. Because he came around. I mean, he, I mean he, it was just before Willie ran, Alan, Alan ran. And he opened up that hole. And so we were up, you know, Super Bowl press box is end zone top seat. And we saw it come right at us. It was awesome. And, I mean, you saw the block and you thought immediately, like, Willie was fast enough to make this thing happen. It was amazing. And he was amazing. And he was never about him. Alan, you mean. It was always about the team. How about the way that he immediately jumped to Warren Sapp and saying that he had changed the way that he had to play the position? I imagine it's like a tough teacher. You know, you look back and you're glad you had them. Right. Because you you, they made you better. Sure. Did you know right away that this guy is special? I mean, you covered Alan from the start of his career, correct? Well, I mean, first round pick helps. Um, I didn't know right away, but pretty quickly. Because, I mean, the Steelers have had some great offensive linemen over the years. Sure. And Fanica was... He was a little, there was just something different. He was more athletic. I mean, it was just something about him, and he just was so unassuming. What about this year's line? When you think about this year's line, and we talked about progress, and we talked about Kenny Pickett earlier, how do you feel about the progress of this year's line? I like it. You do? I do. I like the progress. That doesn't mean that you don't address it. I still think you could, you could address it. But I love the fact that all five of them knew going in that it was going to be a challenge, right? To that, make it that, work. And that they were going to have to fight to keep their job because they're probably going to be looking in the draft for, sure. one of the, for somebody's replacement. And are there any spots where you feel, okay, I'm not as secure? Do you feel I, comfortable saying that? No. I, I love Daniel's that? potential. Okay. I think Mason Cole has been good. And I think Dan Moore's got a lot of potential. He's got to get better at run blocking. Okay. Moore might be a better guard than tackle. Didn't we have this conversation a year ago about somebody else being a better guard than a center? Yeah. But and sometimes it's hard because you say you just want to play your I, sixth I love, best lineman. I love how hard Kendrick plays the game and his passion for the game. But it's a shame that Ben's last center was Kendrick, was a guy who wasn't prepared for it. In the NFL. Or because that they wouldn't have, Hassenauer would have been better. Right. But, of course, you know, to sit here and say the politics in the NFL don't come into play, of course they come into play. Right. Where you're drafted matters. I mean, of you can say all you want about, oh, you know, we, we take the best of it. Yeah, it's graded on a curve. But, see, this is kind of an era thing. When you were talking about Alan Fanica and just seeing him run even before you saw the running back oh, run, that's how I remember Marquise Pouncey. Pouncey I was mean, very I athletic. think about Pouncey getting upfield. Pouncey was very and athletic. Le'Veon being behind him. And he had, you know, he had, you know, the big ragu to his left. Yes. You know, Ramon could, he had the size to help make that package work. And there's a, there's a piece to all of that when you think about offensive lines now. The magic of being so physical. 
that you impose your will in the way Alan was right. talking, but also having that athleticism for the way the game has changed a bit, especially if your quarterback can get on the move a little bit. And I, I love Kevin Dodson's, and I think Dodson's still raw, even though he's been in the league a couple of years. I mean, he's dealt with some injuries. And here, here's the thing. Did you hear, did you realize that Max Crosby played the game on Saturday? No, because yes, Chiefs did because a great job. Yes, because he was neutralized. And you, that's and happened Max to Crosby a lot of different. Max Crosby is one of the absolute that's best pass rushers in the game. To a lot of different guys. Do you, I mean, occasionally, maybe once or twice this year, I can remember a Chooks penalty, but there's been no killer holding penalties. There's been no guy that's run free. I mean, when Kenny got hit, it was because Kenny had stumbled and rolled out of the pocket. Right. That wasn't on Chooks. Sure, I mean, sure. It, I'm not saying that play was blocked perfectly, but you understand my meaning. Like, there's no one on that line where you where you look at it and say, "Man, they're horrible." I can, you, can you upgrade at, at tackle and pedigree? Absolutely, you can. But you know, this group is—if they replace one of them, then you've got a good sixth. Do you want to go have the? Do we want to? Do we want to have the offensive scheme conversation, or would you rather hold let's off break. on that? Let's break. Let's break and do it. On that note, let's break. Let's take a super quick break. We are live here at Minio's Pizza House in Allison Park. That is absolutely packed. My family is here from New Jersey, yeah. and they can't even get a table. It's that packed. But after the break, we're going to check in with one of my really good friends, AJ Ross, who works at CBS with me. She is born and raised in Pittsburgh lives with Steelers fans, did grow up a Steelers fan, has had the opportunity to be on the sideline with the Steelers, and we'll hear what her take has been getting to be on the field right behind the bench. And she was there from camp, so she has a perspective of seeing them in in camp and then sporadically through the year where you can get a whole different feel for what this team is like. So I'm interested in her opinion. All right, let's take a super quick break, and then we'll be live on 93.7 The Fan, where I am live with Jeff Hathorn, who's helped bail me out. No, we're just doing this together. I got to do the morning with Jim, and now the evening with you. How could I possibly compare to Jim Colony? Well, you can't. Nothing can. (laughs) I mean, that's a given. Well, Alan Fanica did us a nice solid. Okay, but now we are joined by an equally fabulous guest, one of the best teammates I've ever had in my life, the wonderful, brilliant Pittsburgh native, A.J. Ross. Why, thank you for having me. That's quite the introduction. I don't think I'm in the same (laughs) stratosphere as Alan Fanica, but I'm honored. (laughs) But just so we know, the reason that I got through to Alan Fanica was A.J. Ross. She was smart well, enough to people. think of you know who some we people. had. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> but A.J. did make it happen. Okay, so A.J., does your family still want to talk to you about the Steelers? You know, my dad's pretty over it at this point. Um, mm. <laughs> Steelers fans, I think, in general, are just spoiled and not accustomed to having a difficult year in, what, 18 seasons, so... We don't talk about the Steelers as much, and I'm kind of, you know, on to other things as far as my weekly schedule. So it's kind of here and there with our Steelers conversation. AJ, you've seen the Steelers off and on. You saw them in camp, and then you've seen them off and on throughout the season. What have you seen different from the Steelers in the, in the parts that you've seen them this year? What first comes to mind, I'll say, is Kenny Pickett's progression. I think, you know, obviously there's a learning curve for a rookie in this league, and you take for granted just the speed, the 
learning curve as far as recognizing defenses and being able to, you know, have a sense of calm and poise in the pocket and getting that chemistry with your receivers, it's been, um, you know, a progression. And there's been some setbacks with concussions and, um, you know, other injuries in different uh, areas with the team. But, you know, I do see progression there. I think something that's been surprising is the defense at times. And obviously, T.J. Watt being out for so long was a big factor in that. But uh, what we've seen in the last couple games, um, seems promising, and I think I would hope it gives some optimism to Steelers fans, even if the playoffs aren't necessarily a possibility. It's a slim chance right now, but, you know, there is some optimism to look forward in the future. So, you know, that's a, that's a tough one. A- AJ, this is one of the things that I love being on your side now is that it's not necessarily our responsibility to opine, but you think about the year that Alex Highsmith had. And the year mm-hmm. that TJ, unfortunately, could not have because of his injury. And yet his name conjures up so much. When you're on the sideline behind opposing benches, do you hear them talk more about TJ than they do about anybody else? I can't say I hear them talk about one particular player, but they do respect, as a whole, the Steelers' D-line. I hear a lot of players um, in individual production meetings when we get the chance to speak to them one-on-one, bring up, you know, Cam Hayward and how he's still performing at a very high level, um, being a vet in the game. Um, Alex obviously has had a fantastic year. I got the chance to speak with his father a couple weeks ago when I covered the Steelers in Carolina, and that was a special homecoming for him because, you know, he was a walk-on at UNC Charlotte, and to just, you know, look back at the journey that he's had not only to make it into the league, but to be playing at the level that he's been playing. And um, speaking with Alex, he's told me, you know, how much TJ has taught him as far as, you know, film, um, practicing different moves or incorporating different moves um, into his game, pass rush moves. Um, they do feed off of each other, and it's, it's great having both of them, even if TJ isn't 100%, um, just the sheer force that he is out there. The uh, offenses have to honor him, but it's opened up a whole lot more of Alex Highsmith's game and his, you know, what I've heard as far as his work ethic and just um, the attention to detail that he has when it comes to film study. It's all paying off for Alex, so it's really, you know, a credit to the hard work he's put in. AJ, I'm curious. All three of us have covered the sidelines. I've done it for Pitt, and you guys have done it in the NFL. What have you learned about NFL football from this perspective of the sideline? That's an awesome question. I have learned, I think, a lot more as far as the nuances of different um, coaching as it pertains to position groups. And, um, again, I mean, even – any given Sunday, I'm still in awe of just the sheer speed. Having I had to start out covering college football, and it's an entirely different game and different strategy. And um, even people talk about the game within the game. Um, there's just so many things any given Sunday that um, I'm still somewhat in awe of and surprised by. And um, I become a fan <laughs> all over again every Sunday, still as I'm working. Um, these games because it's just uh, it's so much more than I think people can even grasp watching it on television when you're there from that sideline vantage point and seeing real time these coaches and these players making adjustments. Um, it's amazing. 
to that point, part of being the sideline reporter, AJ, of course, is that we don't get to talk quite as much as we'd like to. Is there a mm-hmm. Steelers-specific story this year, either found pregame or in-game or in-production meeting that you never got to tell that you'd like to share? Oh. <laughs> Come on, Jeff is <laughs> laughing, AJ, because he knows how many stories end oh, up on I the know. cutting room floor. <laughs> There's, there's always a few in the bag, right? Um, wow, one that I haven't been able to tell. I didn't get to tell about um, Alex Highsmith's spin move in particular. That was something that he um, has been working on. And, again, it was something, you know, with TJ and the help of some other guys that he perfected. But something he confided in us about was, like, how he'll practice. And sometimes if you're not aware of what he's doing, you know, just around the facility or in the weight room. Um, you know, he's practicing it and doing, like, these pirouettes and whatever, and it, it looks crazy if you're just walking by as a bystander. And, um, yeah, I had some other, you know, kind of, I'll say, uh, entertaining stories from other guys that, you know, it's just the flow of the game. You don't always get to, you know, yep. interject, and you don't want to be, you know, you're not, people aren't tuning in to hear you. They're tuning in to watch these guys. So if it doesn't flow... If it's not timely, I mean, I don't really take it personal, but, um, yeah, it's cool when you get those and you're able to put them in um, in a timely fashion. So have you ever had to do a sideline when it's minus 10 wind chill? Minus 15. Oh, yeah. Sorry, minus 15. <laughs> I, think it was, I think it was closer to minus 20. I just did that in Chicago this past weekend oh, with the Bears and the Chicago. Bills. So I think my face and my you know extremities just thawed out maybe yesterday. Um, that was by far the coldest game I've been a part of. And I did a college football game in Laramie, Wyoming in the middle of December. That Ooh. was crazy cold. Ooh. But this one in Chicago, they even said that was one of the top five coldest games ever at Soldier Field. So I feel I should have a badge of honor now. I survived Soldier Field 2022. <laughs> <laughs> That's a point I should add is that I spent all of last week because, of course, I was in Cleveland. Yeah. I spent all of last week texting AJ. What do I get? What do I do? How do I make this work? I'm afraid. I'm scared. <laughs> I, I just want you to know there, were, there was a time when somebody opened the door in the press box and a little breeze came in, but we quickly got over it. <laughs> Listen to him, oh, AJ. It's guys. tough up yeah. there. I'm telling you. <laughs> no, I've, I've been down there before. The, the worst the worst are when you start out and you do high school games and if you have a camera on your shoulder and it's muddy I mean back in the day when there were more grass fields and than turf fields like those the, the and you guys can attest to this being the work that the photographers do oh yeah is mm-hmm. when we see the re- the end result of these beautiful shots how they are able to get in the right position avoid getting run over. I mean, there is an art in what they do and what they bring. And I I know you guys work with some some fantastic people. too. That is for sure. AJ, you Mm -hmm. are tremendous to join us. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for connecting us with Alan Fanica. And I can't wait to see you again soon, I hope. Where, Where are you this weekend? What game do you have? I will be in Kansas City. I have the Broncos and the Chiefs this Sunday. Another so warm I weather hear it's one. Huh? Be 50 degrees. 
Actually, 50 Ooh. degrees, so it's going to feel like summer for me after coming from That's Chicago. That's funny. AJ might be in shorts. All right, well, we will catch you live on CBS because that game, that's a 4 o'clock game, right? So that will be in our market. We will all see you, AJ. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for joining us. Enjoy your family. Thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. Happy holidays to all. Happy, Happy holidays. holidays to you, so, too. So uh, we'll be watching that game because we'll be scouting the rematch of the playoff game from last year. Oh, right. So when the Steelers make it in, all these other things happen, and you get that Kansas City rematch. So okay, that's before we'll we be take watching. this last super quick break, you really think the Steelers are making it in? Oh, well, I'm being optimistic. I, I am not a one percenter. I am a 99 percenter, meaning the one percent is the chances of them getting in. I'm going to go with the, all the other 99 percent are going to happen, and they're going to find their way in. I mean, it's been known to happen for the well, Pittsburgh here's, Steelers. Here's the thing that works in their favor. Not that you want this. Tua may not play. Right. Dolphins have to go into into Foxborough, uh, and then they've got the Jets the next week. Uh, Seattle, Geno's got a lot to play for against the Jets, and I, I just think there might be an opportunity for something to happen just because things are falling their way. I know the odds are still really great, but it's not like any of those teams that they're battling with are perfect. Well, I don't know that anybody in the National Football League is this year, but we will come back to that. Let's take a super quick break from Minio's Pizza House, live in Allison Park, the best pizza in Pittsburgh. Jeff, that was a kerfuffle a week ago. Marcus Allen. Since we're talking about things kind of off the field... I, Marcus had his parents in the locker room on Monday as he was kind of, I think, clearing out because he was done for the season after his bicep surgery. Okay. And it was just, it was, it was <laughs> odd. And, I'm, you know, you see more of the human, like, here he is with his parents right. and he's kind of walking them around a little bit. And uh, He's been, uh, he could be a handful for them, you know, and we saw it in Carolina with that. Was it? For me, it was par for the course that Mike Tomlin wasn't going to give his whatever um, ounce of blood or pound of flesh or whatever right. he called it. Pound of flesh, yeah. But does it surprise you that Mike Tomlin still continues that? I think there are players that he <coughs> he likes, that he respects, that he appreciates, and Marcus is one of them for reasons that we don't fully understand. Um, the way he's kind of worked back, the way he's he's battled to get everything that he's gotten i think mike likes likes him he the thinks he, he brings a good energy place the way that he always says a hello how are you yeah i mean marcus can be difficult from our standpoint to deal with at times oh sorry for me he's always yeah <laughs> but no 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 it's okay it's not about us it's about playing football i mean and mike likes the way he plays special teams he thinks he's a catalyst for them so He's back every year. When at times you're wondering what's his role because he doesn't play any defensive snaps. And at what point will uh, Mark Robinson you know, take that opportunity because he has the, uh, he's got more upside as far as a linebacker. You know, it goes both ways. On the one hand, it is the more you can do. And you're always better off when you have someone who can help you in multiple different ways. But the flip to that is special teams is not something that should be ignored. It's a vital, vital, vital right. part of the game. It really—it was the great Bill Arnsparger who told me it's one-third of the game, and it really, truly is. Yeah. We've seen it tremendously 
It's really important that somebody brings up something on our show. We're about to say goodbye right now right. on that note. Um, so what do you think about at, Sunday? Yeah. Um, I think there will be a lot of energy in the stadium, and I think that that really matters. I think that this the Ravens – Lamar Jackson playing will definitely add some extra juice. If. Right. right. That's what I'm saying. If. if he is to play, that would add some extra juice. But I think Tyler Huntley is a very impressive young man, and I think the Ravens really know who they are, and they don't try to go away from who they are. The Ravens are playing for something very significant. They think that the next week against Cincinnati could decide the division. I don't think that the Ravens ever overlook the Steelers. It'll be a packed house, all of that. I like the energy of that. I like the idea of big game football. Do I think that the Steelers are ready for that? Didn't I just say I like not having to opine on this sort of thing? What do you think? I think and what do you think is better for the Steelers? Two-part question. What do you think and what is actually better for the Steelers? You mean whether point? they lose from a draft standpoint? Sure. I, I think you play to win. And I then agree. that stuff takes care of itself. Like you couldn't, you couldn't ever ask a team, or you couldn't put a team in a bad position to try to lose a game. Like you just can't do no, that. No, 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 you can't ever. But as a fan on the outside looking in, oh, I mean, ideally, if you're not going to make the playoffs, you want to be over because then you get the number one overall pick. But I, I think this year, regardless of what happens, has been successful from the standpoint as you found out some things about these young offensive players. Correct, and I think that the way that you go into the offseason really, really does matter. Right. I think the way that you leave makes a difference. So I think for as important as what George Pickens has shown at times on the field, this offseason is even more important because now that tape is out there. What is he going to do to make himself better for year two? Correct. And that's what I wanted to see with Fryermuth. People started figuring him out. He's still having success. Najee's had a great last seven games like he's looked like the, the guy from his rookie year now right. so you're feeling better about him going forward Jalen Warren is a guy that you can you can play with the guy right. who's who's uh, who's the line down a, the line has shown improvement even if you make no changes or right. say probably we'll make at least one but even if you make none you feel like at least they're okay or they're better than what you've had and Kenny's gotten more experience um yeah, I mean, I, I think they've got some things that are going for And I do think they can win the game Sunday night. I, I kind of I like the way they're playing. I don't think the Ravens are – Ravens have faults. It's can they minimize the impact of the middle linebackers from the Ravens. That's the big thing for the Steelers' offense. And those middle linebackers, I mean, it really makes you look at the Steelers' middle linebackers and the investment there as well in some ways. All right, on that note, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. I know that you need to go home and pack for this trip to El Paso. Are you going to interview the UTEP basketball coach? <laughs> you can go try to find him. I wish that would have happened sooner. So by the time I get there, it's going to be old an older story. But, but it's, it's an awesome story. It's still such a cool story. Three pit players were stranded at the Dallas airport, and it was the UTEP basketball coach who threw him in the car with his family. Like John Candy on, ho- on Home Alone. <laughs> 
We were just watching that this week. Jeff Hathorne, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Off the Field Live. Let's be honest, I'm here for the pizza. He is here for the pizza. We will see you next week with, no offense to you, Jeff, but hopefully we've got a player who's in a good mood. Bigger or just bigger names? Well, I don't know that anybody has a bigger name than Jeff Hathorne. Maybe younger. Why don't we just go with younger? Uh, Any of those. (laughs) We'll see you next week live on 93.7 The Fan.